a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. How are you? Josh, is it snowing uh, where you are at currently? No. <sighs> I... No, not at all. No, I live in Seattle. This is this is the land to be in. You had a pretty no crazy snow. snow last year. Yeah, so but like so crazy hard. snow for Seattle is like two inches. Oh, no. How are we going to drive up those hills? Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. It is actively snowing in Montana. And to give everyone a, a sense of, I mean, we're recording on, what is this, October 12th, and we're getting snow in Montana right now. Same here. Lots of snow. So what are you guys uh, consuming as beverages today? Josh, where it's not snowy, and Stephen, where it is snowy? You know, you'd think I would make a pivot into some kind of wintry drink, but I am I am working on a Jeremiah Johnson Honeyweizen tonight. Oh. It's kind of the last of the summer beer in my fridge. Hey, if it's warm inside, you might as well drink it. It is nice and toasty. I, I fired up my furnace for the first time this year, made a pot of soup this weekend that was good soup. A pot of soup. I made a and, pot uh, of soup. Yeah, I like that. Dixie and I... Uh, Mark the passing of the seasons by the first time we get to make soup. That's so cute. That's it's not even a joke, even. <laughs> no, it's it's just adorable though. Like just hearing you say We're that. A big soup family. Big soup it's, fan. Soup. It's super. <laughs> Josh, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a tea. I'm drinking some Temptation Tamer tea from Celestial Seasonings. It is a little bit chillier here by Seattle standards, but it's definitely not snowing. Um, so I'm drinking some tea to celebrate. Tea time. Nice. Nice. What nice. are you drinking, Emily? You know, since it is snowing here and um, had a lot of errands to run out in the snow and it's very windy here as well. So I am consuming a hot chocolate Ooh. to bring in the warmth and the cheer on this very cold, snowy day. Well done. Um, what's your what's your go to hot chocolate? Well, I just have like the, you know, Swiss, whatever. Swiss Miss. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Swiss sure. Miss. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember the name of it and I'd have to read the canister. Um, but there's a souvenir store here in Cody that has this really awesome white hot chocolate. So good. Oh, it's so delicious. I know there's a cow on the logo. I just can't remember the name of it, um, but it's <laughs> really good. That narrows it down. It, yeah, I know. Right. Um. Hmm. So here we are. And, you know, we've been we've been recording nonstop, like boom, 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 just laying them out. Yeah, we're getting and after I it. totally forgot that it was my topic uh, for this one. So me being me, 
Uh, I like to go ham. So I figured, why not talk about a hot button issue? Oh, no. Uh, what is it going to so be? What is this? What did we get ourselves into? Drum roll, please. Attention Our topic rising. for today is abortion. Oh. 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 Yep. yep I went there. I went there. Um, okay. And I really, I really have no... I don't really have like any particular questions or like I don't have any clear sense of where the conversation will go. But it is a topic, especially now that I'm a mother, mm. Um, mm. it is something close to my heart in the sense of it's an issue that so many people claim to be advocates for, yet they are like never in a situation where like it could happen. Do you know what I mean? Like if you don't foresee yourself having an abortion, you're so concerned with other people having an abortion. It's, it, you know, like the sanctity of life and politics on it. It's one of those topics where you just have to ask yourself why. So gentlemen, and that's the other thing too, is like you guys being of the male species, uh, you probably have some insight to abortion that I would never even think of or consider um, as a woman. And yeah, so I that's... think it would just be interesting to talk about. Because that's what the world is lacking, a bunch of men's opinions on abortion. No, really. I just, you're right, Stephen. Your voice is not heard enough. <laughs> I'm oppressed. Um, I know I, I am acquainted with uh, several men who started an organization. I don't know if it's actually a nonprofit, so I don't want to call it that, but it's like all about men's voices not being heard when it comes to abortion issues. Okay. Huh. Oh. And it's gone like kind of like not like viral, but they've like accumulated quite a bit of social media following, and I think that they like rake in quite a bit of donations this, now. This sounds which, familiar. Like, no, you don't know them. Well, maybe not the people, but the organization I might have heard of because uh, do I re- it's not huge. I don't want to like make it sound like it's giant, but it is interesting to me that they've like gained a following that is clearly like thinking that it's very important that men's voices do need to be heard more for what is very definitively a woman's issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because is the I feel like I've heard the framing as well, you know, men are half of the genetic uh Mm-hmm. donators to the baby so maybe we should have a say in like whether that abortion goes through or not like father's rights kind of idea mm-hmm. is that right yeah i, I mean, feel like from- that's exactly like the angle that they're coming from which is like i don't know it is an interesting ethics question i guess but like when it comes to like the theology of like life or like the theology of a relationship I think that those those ties are a little bit less simple to argue for. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to word that. I'm not really sure how to say that. Sure. So I guess one question um, now that comes to mind is growing up, what was your like sex education like in regards to the church? Oh, um, I mean, it was like, don't do it. Like with- don't. Yeah, like abstinence, uh, yeah. purely abstinence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Abstain from masturbating. Anything sexual is a sin until you're married, and then you can go just absolutely crazy if you want to. Um, yeah, and I mean, 
I don't think it was often paired with the concept of like, of course, pregnancy is a quote unquote risk of Mm -hmm. not practicing abstinence. And, you know, well, as Christians, you got to live with that consequence. Like we don't get abortions because that would be murder. Mm -hmm. That was pretty explicit where I grew up. What was yours like, Emily? Oddly enough, it really wasn't talked a lot. I think part of that, too, is each pastor that would come to my church, they brought a completely different lifestyle. So, like, one pastor was a very older gentleman, you know, like, kids were well-grown and out of the house, very sweet wife, you know, who did the bake sales and all that. And then, like, the pastor after that was married and had three daughters And one of the daughters ended up having a child out of wedlock. Um, And I just remember, like, the little old ladies of the church would whisper and, you know, clearly have an opinion about the pastor and the pastor's daughter, who was, you know, 16 or 17 when she got pregnant. And then after that, we had another old dude who didn't have any children. uh, So no one really bad an eye. And then after him, it was a single white guy who didn't have a girlfriend, wasn't married, didn't have children. And then when it came to having a woman pastor, she had children and she was older, um, but she was divorced. So we could care less about that topic. Like we we were focusing more on the fact that like she was divorced and now her child of, you know, 30 something is now going through divorce. And so it really just depended on who the pastor was and whether or not that topic was ever brought up. But like in youth group, never talked about it. Never talked about it. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel too. I don't feel like as much as sex was talked about sometimes, I don't think that the abortion discussion was ever talked about nearly as much. Like I'm just kind of like reflecting now and I'm thinking of this one church that I went to for a while. And I remember even at the time, Actually, I uh, for context, with this church at the time, I was still, I definitely considered myself pro-life. Like, I was very anti-abortion, um, definitely, like, resonated with the pro-life arguments. And that year that I went to that church, I even went on a trip to Washington, D.C. and marched in the 40th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision. But, like, not in oh, the celebration wow. way, in the anti-abortion way. Mm-hmm. And at that church, even at the time, like even with me resonating with those arguments at the time, the pastor of that congregation was very emphatic with the way he taught theology and was very, he was very focused in the way that he taught about issues. And he would often fall back to Greg Boyd's argument that like there are concentric circles of Christianity. Some are like the really core tenets that if you don't agree with, arguably you shouldn't call yourself a Christian because you're not holding to like quote unquote traditional or orthodox Christianity. And then there's like a handful, like really more than a handful of even more issues that are really like second issue things. Mm -hmm. Like it's the Mm -hmm. things that Christians can definitely discuss and debate about and like have differences of opinion on. And so he was really clear about that. And I remember even thinking about the time that man, abortion is like the one thing that you actually mention in sermons that isn't a theological thing. Like he never gave like a theological stance like or argument about, he just always like, he always talked about abortion as like, well, it's obviously wrong. 
Mm-hmm. So like all Christians should be against it. But like it was like such a like compared to like other theological things he would talk about, it felt like such an empty argument. And it always stood out to me that like it was the only political thing uh, at the time. I, I know that since he's delved into preaching more politically, but it was the only thing at the time that he preached about politically. And it just stood out to me, even as someone who was swayed by that argument. So interesting. That, that's kind of interesting for me to look back on. Um, I'm curious if that's how it is in other churches. I know that like lots of churches in America, especially in the last four to six years, have definitely become more prone to like talking about politics in the church, no matter which side it's on. Like, I think that that's regardless of people's politics, but yeah. I don't know. That's kind of interesting for me to like think back about. It is. I'm curious to know what what changed for you in your view like was there a moment or was it just years of like personal growth and study what was it for you that kind of flipped the tables um i know that i've mentioned this book before on the podcast um i read this book in college called who lives who dies who decides it's written by a sociologist from the university of texas in austin uh it's reviewing like all of the Supreme Court cases since the history of the United States that deal with capital punishment, abortion, and neonatal care, and physician-assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. And reading that book, I think, uh, opened up my eyes to like the complexity of the issue and like also how it intersects with some other issues, like, like has some similarities, but also some really striking differences to something like capital punishment, like both things involve death, but we see one as a punishment and we see the other one as like justice. Mm, mm-hmm. Or no, I'm sorry. I'm like saying that wrong. I'm like, we see one as like an unnecessary evil and we see the other one as a necessary justice. Right. Okay. So I, for me personally, I think it was a combination of that. And also in my uh, good old Facebook debate days, I feel like this <laughs> issue just came up all the time. Like, Regardless of whether it was my Christian friends on Facebook or their friends that were atheists, like starting a debate with them because I know that little Jimmy loves talking theology and politics and why he's right. And like they love like poking the cow a little bit. No, that's not a phrase. Poking the bear. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, poking the bear. (laughs) The cow? Why are you poking Poking the cow? Okay. Um, So like... Uh, I would definitely get involved in a lot of like social media discussions and I maybe I just like realized over time like that some arguments didn't hold up and some people were making arguments in bad faith like regardless of what side they were on and Mm. I don't know I'm not really sure exactly where along the lines my beliefs changed I think maybe it was more gradual for me Mm. yeah what about you Stephen if your opinion even changed, I don't even know. I shouldn't assume. I, I don't know if my opinion has actually changed. I think it has just grown to be more nuanced or all-encompassing. Because like, Josh, you used the, the famous phrase of pro-life. And for me, like pro-life grew to be a lot more things than just anti-abortion. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was really like reframing and really coming to grips with uh, I used to think that capital punishment was a good deterrent because I thought that like mutually assured destruction was a good way to operate the world of justice. I've come to change that opinion. And I guess like 
I ended up just including more under what it meant to be pro-life than just anti-abortion, you know, like even mm-hmm. questions about healthcare being like, okay, we care oh, about yes. making sure that babies or, you know, like fetuses are not aborted, but then what do we do to do what we can to make sure that those are thriving human beings in a few years, you know, mm-hmm. or even the first few months of life. Um, so kind of like growing growing what it means to be pro-life under how I think like Christ calls us to view life, I guess mm-hmm. it is, it's still kind of a, I don't know. It's, it just baffles me that the question has become about like abortion being a potential, I don't know. It feels like we're trying to address a particular solution to the problem instead of looking at the problem itself. You know, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. what, whichever side you land on, I think we can all agree that we want to see abortions decrease statistically, right? Like we all oh, want that yeah. and it's either outright banning that or uh, doing a lot of cultural movement upstream of unwanted pregnancy to, you know, I mean, like maybe it, <laughs> some people think a solution to that is abstinence only, but, and some people think that's sex education and like contraceptives and all those mm-hmm. things it, like it kind of did like the argument becomes about particular solutions to maybe not even a problem. We can all agree that is the core problem. Sure. Cause I don't like the way it gets framed as I'm pro life. Well, so here, here's the thing is it becomes two camps in my mind that end up speaking past each other because now we're trying to debate the ethics of abortion and mm-hmm. body autonomy when like I can see the connection, but sometimes it's like uh, we're not even hearing each other because we we're, right. we clearly are trying to care about different things that have the same outcome, which is an abortion. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I yeah. don't think I heard that reframe uh, that you kind of mentioned, Stephen, about like nobody wants more abortions to happen. Like everyone right. wants them decreased. Right. I don't think I heard someone frame it that way until like last year. Like even after I had like changed some of my like ethical opinions about this yeah mm-hmm. and it like even then it like blew my mind i was like oh my gosh i've never thought about that before <laughs> like even people who like want to make this more accessible and safer don't want it to happen right yeah right. i mean yeah of course the good faith people will eventually come to that reframing and that kind of clicks i think a bad faith argument on one side of the ar- uh, on one side of the issue is literally like no, they literally want to see abortions increase for some reason. You know? Right. Like, I think right. I've heard that explicitly. Like, man, <laughs> if it's going to be compared, if we're going to call it like a holocaust of the unborn, that kind of implicates that it's intentional and desired to a certain extent, right? Which is just unhelpful. Yeah. Looking back, I am still kind of befuddled why so many Christians care so much about the topic because like it's That's obviously what I want to know like it's obviously an ethics issue like I'm not denying that I'm not denying that it's like a very big moral question about the ethics of humanity and life and death like in college I tried to make like a really reasonable argument in a human development class like for an essay we got to choose whatever we wanted to write about and I didn't even mention abortion but I argued by like quoting like bioethicists and philosophers that like we should have the same definition around the parameters of life. And if we're going to define death 
by the end of brain activity and a heartbeat, which currently we do, we should define the beginning of life that way. And like, I tried to like be very like intelligible and reasonable about it. I didn't even mention abortion until the last like paragraph, I think. And I didn't even like mention that much about it. I just said like, if these definitions are true, the implications would be huge for issues like abortion. And Mm -hmm. my professor like really docked me on it. I feel like I may have gotten an unfair grade personally because I think I wrote it well. (laughs) But (laughs) like even looking back on myself in that era, I am kind of a little puzzled as to why I felt convinced that Christians needed to care about this ethics issue almost more than any other issue. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to that point, there is a fantastic episode of NPR's show Throughline called The Evangelical Vote. It was published on their podcast feed September 23rd of 2020. And I will put a link in the show notes to this one because this one uh, it was an eye-opening hour-long look at how on earth did abortion become the thing that this party cares about or this group of voters cares about mm-hmm. good listen i honestly it it's been a while since i've listened to it i remember having a really good sense of like okay i feel like we're headed somewhere i can't necessarily speak to the specific points they make but that's why i'm going to provide a link cuz we should go listen to that as a group i think um, yeah, it was just eye-opening the way like political operatives sometimes just latch on to an idea that is very motivating to a voting base, you know? Mm-hmm. That is something that is even now, like as a pastor, I am so curious to know what is it about this topic that they they do. They seem to hold on to and cling on to out of all the other really intense topics that people could advocate for or against. Also, I swear, I mean, this is a little anecdotal, but I swear that every Republican president in the last, or every Republican presidential candidate in the last, like, six or eight elections has, like, run Mm -hmm. on a platform Mm -hmm. that, like, had a decent underlying point about, I'm going to end abortion. Yeah. Like, I, I know handfuls of people who voted for 45 because they they hated his character and they didn't like what he stood for, but he was going to end abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he didn't. So like, <laughs> yeah. like it's obviously a political ploy. Like I don't, yeah. I don't see how people don't see that. No, I mean, uh, Montana's governor is in his seat right now, probably because of this one issue. Cause we, yeah, you know, we, we came out of this last election with a Republican governor and a, very Republican dominated legislature in Montana and they very quickly passed the bills that they promised to pass. And just yesterday, a Yellowstone County judge basically put a freeze to the bills while a lawsuit is underway, you know, judging the constitutionality of the anti-abortion laws that were passed in Montana this year. Mm -hmm. Like just yesterday, like this is, this is the thing we're always talking about in red states. Yep. I feel like this topic If you are someone who either has experienced it yourself or knows of someone who has experienced it, at least in my life and like in my perspective, Mm. this is a topic that is not as heavily carried as people who do not experience it. Like I have had friends who have had an abortion or miscarried and 
like I'm on the other side of that where I've had a baby and it's not a hot button issue for me. Like my friends that have had abortions and those that I know of that have had abortions, it's not as heavy of a topic now Mm. as it was like before the, the situation occurred. And I just think it's so interesting that for people who will not experience that situation, they feel the need to voice that opinion so loudly, like white evangelical males. <laughs> I, I'm curious to know, what is it, like, what is it about the topic that is so so like so hot about like what is what makes it such a hot issue when there are other areas of life that we seem to just completely ignore like capital punishment Mm. or immigration or health care like steven like you were saying what is it about this topic that is so right there in everyone's face when there are other elements and other aspects of life that are just as important, maybe even more important, depending, and they are completely just like ignored or looked over or. Are you asking why is it such a controversial issue? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I kind of understand why it becomes a controversial issue because like it's, it, to me, it seems like a very complex ethics question. What about like, war? About war? Like, yeah. Oh, what about war? Oh, yeah. Like. I mean, I think war is a a great ethics problem, too, but. But we but like, I think as a nation, we are totally comfortable with we send off our troops and people are like supportive of that. Mm. And, you know, we we are very proud and patriotic of military and servicemen and women. And like we glorify war, Mm. which is essentially killing another human being. That's true. Although I will say I think war is usually justified to people like this as it is just like we are somehow doing good and i think that um to anyone who thinks that a fetus is a complete human being that should not be killed morally i think that to those people it it just seems incomprehensible that this is in any way just and i think the people who are like very vehemently anti-abortion i think often feel like they are speaking up for those who like cannot speak for themselves like speaking up for the vulnerable and like they I think they definitely see themselves as like participating in that yeah like biblical which is, tradition yeah. which is which, interesting because there are other people who are not fetuses who are also vulnerable and totally. don't have a voice Yeah, I completely agree. Although I think that like it's weird as it is because like I think a lot of <laughs> I think a lot of pro-life arguments like make the argument that like the fetus baby life is like just as valuable like just as god image made as anyone who's older who's an adult but like that it's like almost i feel like the arguments are almost made with the assumption that like well adults make their own decisions and like what happens after that like if the law determines that like they should be put to death like there's nothing we can do about that like they Mm, made their own choices sure versus like the the baby obviously doesn't even have a fighting chance against the doctor that wants to just man rip it out you know what's crazy, Josh, is literally, like, everything you've said in the last few minutes was everything that I wanted to respond to, Emily. Like, <laughs> you and I are so on track. Yeah, because I really do think there's, like, a 
there's like a like a hero's mentality of like totally look at me stick up for the person you know the human being that isn't even born yet but literally can't use language to convey its desires so i will do it for them yeah and like who doesn't get to exercise you know like the squishy argument of you know the the conversation becomes about the woman's bodily autonomy and then Mm -hmm. the same people will use a very quick argument to say like well what about the body autonomy of the unborn human being you know like Mm -hmm. there's that question of oh man yeah it gets so sticky so fast but josh i think you're spot on with this idea of like it 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 gives us something maybe not tangible but we i mean we certainly get the dose of brain chemicals that give us good emotions of feeling like we're doing something just and doing something for a cause right it feels like we're serving something greater than ourselves when we're speaking for voiceless beings voiceless well and things. i'm not saying the stakes aren't high like uh, I there's agree. this there's this uh well-known bioethicist named peter singer you guys heard of him mm, mm-hmm. yeah um have you heard his argument for infanticide yes ah. <laughs> have you heard it steven uh no i haven't he basically argues that if abortion is morally justifiable infanticide should be as well the difference of the baby being inside or outside of the womb like is logically incoherent like yeah because like by all definitions like that baby has not developed consciousness it has not developed uh human attachments it's it's not that far removed from being inside the womb so he makes like a I mean, he does not personally believe that you should kill infants, but like, it's almost like a satirical looking mm-hmm. for a argument of fallacy. like, you have to be very, very careful about how you go about talking about something like this because like the implications are huge. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I very often, I don't know if I'm guilty of slippery slope type thinking in this moment, but because like, I feel like the argument could just as easily be made like, well, if it's morally justifiable to perform an abortion, then it's morally justifiable to, like, kill another soldier in war. You know, like, how far does that go? Because if killing is killing is killing, mm. you know? I mean, the same the same uh, argument can go the other way. I've heard Catholics essentially make the same argument for, well, an abortion is sinful because we're ending at least the potential of life, you know, even if it's just multiplying cells at this point, there's a potential that that becomes a thriving human being. And then the argument becomes, I mean, this is like old Testament, like don't spill your seed on the ground, right? Don't masturbate because you're spending precious resources that has, have the potential to make life. Mm. Right. But maybe that's just slippery slope thinking in both directions. I don't know. It's also, it feels hypocritical to me too, because like the, the like traditional Catholic stance to my knowledge has been that if you are before the age of what is, what do they call it? Age of accountability, Uh, accountability, age of accountability, Mm -hmm. you more or less just go to heaven. Right. In like, if you are a, (laughs) you're a Bible believing Christian and you believe that, like if you buy into like, well, if some children or some like, some disabled people like just can't comprehend relationship with God and God just like gives them grace and mercy and like they get to spend eternity with God anyway. Like Mm -hmm. then the abortion doctors are like the greatest evangelists in the world. And Mm -hmm. 
they've made more people come to Christ than we have. Right? Sure. Like, huh. There's just like huh. the, the way that we theologize about what is clearly an ethics and moral issue. Like I'm not saying it's not an ethics issue, but like the right. way that we theologize about it and just like speculate about what it means and what happens after it, regardless of whether it's here or in heaven. It just mm-hmm. fascinates me, like the Christian obsession with either stopping abortions or like figuring out what abortion means right. with Christianity or whatever. Well, and man, we get we get so twisted on the different black and whites in different ethical questions because like in my mind there's a version that says killing is wrong therefore we don't do abortion but we do war because we can, you know, that's on the other side of the black and white spectrum and mm-hmm. war is just in this way or there's the other way that's saying killing is wrong i'm anti-war but you know the same people would i don't know maybe not mm. the same people but some people would frame that argument as like you're anti-war but you're like pro safe and accessible abortions killing is wrong either way you know so either the consistency is killing is fine anytime or killing is fine none of the time and we should be like anti-abortion and anti-war do you see where mm, I'm going? Because mm-hmm. like the parties, well, the, the political the parties war- we have seem to be set up on those diametric. Uh, yeah, I understand. Hypocrisies. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash Ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts, and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick word from our sister show, Author's Intent. Hello, my name is Dixie Lee, and I am the host of Author's Intent. I go through books and movies and talk about the similarities and differences between them. I just finished up my beginning series where I went through the first book in the Hunger Games, Narnia, and Harry Potter series. If you're hearing this, it means you are just in time to jump into a new series called Disney Classics. We are starting with The Beauty and the Beast. Join me on Fridays to talk about the author's intent. And now back to the conversation. The war connection is interesting, I think, because like if you look at the history of Christianity in relation to American war specifically, like there is a rich history of conscientious objectors and like Christian led protests against war, like refusal to participate in violence. And I, (laughs) I hate to like be overly simplistic about this, but I feel like the abortion equivalent is. Oh, you think it's wrong? Be a conscientious objector and don't get one. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm. Right? Like, the, the, I mean, I think, yes, if you, like, believe that something is true and you think something should change, of course, you should use your voice and you should, like, talk to make things happen. Like, if you think there is an unjust thing in your community, for sure. But if you, if all you are doing, if, like, what you think you are morally obligated to do is to not participate, then, then, don't participate. Exactly. 
And like, you're not morally conscious. You're not morally, um, what's the right word? Culpable. Yeah, you're not morally culpable just because you live in a country where abortion is legal. Okay, so. Right? Like, that should be the conclusion. Yeah. I'm just kind of putting this together. So, help point out where I'm missing something. But in the way that our political binary is set up, it seems like we're tipping toward a world where red team is kind of what is standing for individualism to a certain extent. And blue team is what stands for some form of collectivism or socialism or whatever. But somehow I'm starting to see like red team caring about abortion the way they do as being anti-abortion. Like it's like the most collectivist thing they could advocate for is just a blanket policy to say our entire society can't do this. Whereas Mm. the messaging Mm. really should be to be consistent at the individual level of like, yes, we do not participate in this as, you know, good Christians or, you know, good people convinced of this ethical conversation. But if, I mean, if you're going to build every other policy against like, don't let the government or let other people decide what you do. And yet you're the party who wants to decide what everyone else gets to do when it comes to abortion. I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing that inconsistency, but I hesitate to say that that's my opinion yet because I I feel I feel like there's some holes that I'm missing. It is yeah, it does make you think. There are far more I want to be careful I mention this, but there are far more miscarriages than abortions. Far yes. far more. Yes. It's hard to tell, but the best guess that the experts have is that one in 4 mm-hmm. women experience at least one miscarriage. Mhm. And uh, Stephen, certainly your wife has gone above that statistic. Yeah. Yeah. And if someone is going to have a very strong stance about abortion, they should care even more about health care that prevents miscarriages. Mm. Yeah. Because if you believe that life begins at conception, more lives are lost by miscarriage. Far more. Like if, if abortion is the Holocaust on unborn children yeah miscarriages are the decimation of the planet yeah Mm -hmm. yeah like i think it was like those statistics around miscarriage that probably started me on the journey towards sure Mm, what's the right word for this i was gonna say like depoliticizing my views on abortion but i was realizing that (laughs) it's probably more accurate to say de-theologizing my views on abortion there you Mm. go yeah Mm. like i now view it as more of a political ethics issue and not rather so much than of a theological one yeah because right. there's there's the involuntary corollary to abortion which is miscarriage right yeah i mean i isn't it called uh i feel like i've heard the phrase it's not impromptu abortion but like yeah, i think miscarriage has been called something like that like an adjective appended to abortion because the pregnancy mm-hmm. itself was aborted whether it be by a doctor or whether it be just by nature's course of an inhospitable uterus yeah, I see what you're saying. Like abortion is a medical term, regardless of whether it is biologically caused or externally caused. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that whole corner of the conversation, I like I, I think I've mentioned to you before, and honestly, I think it was in the afterlife episode and what has followed, but like experiencing two miscarriages now, I like to say has taught me what I think I believe about the afterlife. And honestly, it did kind of solidify my thoughts on abortion. Like, of course, I want to see abortion 
statistics shrink because like I've experienced two miscarriages, even as all the way back to the beginning of like, I don't know, the father has a role here too. That is very confusing in a miscarriage. Like I didn't experience the physical pain, but I still experienced the emotional loss of the future mm-hmm. potential of my thriving family. And I mean, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like that solidified for me. Like, you know, I don't know if I could put language to like, I certainly believe that the moment of conception is when human life begins, but uh, there is a value there that I want to see lessen across the board. I saw a TikTok just today. <laughs> Where it was some talk show. I don't know like who this was. So unfortunately, I don't think I can go back and link to it. But it was like some talk show, and like one guy was talking to this other guy, and he's like showing him a picture of a fetus. And he goes, Do you believe, do you truly believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is a human fetus? Or no, no, he didn't even like lead it with that much language. He was just like, Do you think that this is human? Do you hmm. really think that? And the guy responded, like, absolutely I do, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, that is a human being. <laughs> and the guy goes, he pulls out another picture and he goes, no, it's not. That picture I just showed you was a dolphin fetus. This is the human fetus. They are Mm. very, very close as you can see. But like that just goes to show me that you do not know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Which Mm. is like Mm -hmm. obviously a very humorous way to make an argument. Right. Absolutely. mm. Stephen, the word that you're thinking of is spontaneous abortion. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Very real medical term for what we call miscarriage now it is you know and you know it's bringing me back to my chaplain days uh before i started serving here at the church in cody we had uh this thing in the spiritual care office at the hospitals that i worked at called the big board moments and the big board moments were the moments that we as chaplains and chaplain interns experienced that no one else did um so for instance like my good friend Khalif who's a wonderful pastor uh, serving in the Chicago area now, He his big board moments were working in the ER. He was always paged to go to the ER and to deal with the very sudden, very unrealistic trauma that the ER was experiencing. Mm. Uh, my friend Denise, who is in Seattle working as a chaplain now, she had her big board moments, was working with palliative care and those who were struggling with cancer. Uh, and terminal illnesses of that nature. Uh, And then my big board moments were I was always paged to the woman's hospital. I was always paged for OB, Mm. to NICU, Mm. things like that. And there really was no rhyme or reason. Like all of us could be there, but we would be paged to those specific uh, incidences. And I cannot tell you, like I can't even count on, like it takes multiple hands for me to count the number of spontaneous abortions that I've experienced while mm. working as a chaplain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is so heartbreaking. It is so sad. But also there's something oddly beautiful in those moments. Like I remember one of the very first days that I was by myself as a chaplain uh, doing an on-call shift, had a young couple come in. Um, she was 24 weeks pregnant and The baby was not going to be uh, viable past 24 weeks. And so they had the very difficult decision to say uh, that we need to uh, medically terminate this pregnancy. And so the nurse like paged me and she said, you know, the family is in there. Um, They were wondering if you would do a blessing. 
And for a moment, the thought came across my head of, I guarantee you that there would be a chaplain somewhere or Mm. some pastor somewhere that would say no. And I would hate to be in that situation where if I asked for a blessing of my child and someone said no, I would be devastated. And so I remember walking into that room and just being as loving and as comforting as I possibly could uh, and holding that little baby so, so light. So, I mean, like it was like carrying nothing mm. and asking, you know, like, oh, what's her name? And and they shared her name with me and I held her and I did the blessing. And there was this presence in that room that like this child was clearly not alive, yet I could feel their life in the room. Mm. And in that instance, I just remember like leaving the room. I was overcome with emotions but i was so happy to be present for those people because i know that there are people who they have those moments and they don't get the support they don't get the love that they need when it's a very difficult situation like that you know i'm sure you know steven i'm sure you and dixie had people who probably didn't have the nicest things to say or they thought they were saying something comforting and really it was hurtful yeah and i yeah, yeah it and it just makes you sit for a moment to say like why <laughs> mm. you know so here's the wow thank you for that 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 brought some emotions up for me um and i feel like you're highlighting what is conf- so confusing to me about the way this has been politicized and the way this has become black and white to some people in the way that you know you you just shared a very uh, personal and individual story about how medical abortion was utilized to protect the health of the mother understanding the you know the future potential of viability for the baby itself and you know, when that becomes an individual call like that and a very individual experience for that couple and for you as the chaplain who got to be involved, you know, Mm -hmm. it is so baffling to me that the politics of a party that, again, in my mind at least stands for individualism over what they think is the devil in socialism, they just want to make a blanket policy to prevent uh, like what sounds like a holy moment for that couple of really getting to process their grief and like their grief was embodied right in Mm -hmm. a baby that wasn't going to make it and that they made the choice to like uh like lift it up to god when they have the choice to you know Mm -hmm. and it's just so baffling to me that this one issue has become the the one that some people care about as like Let's make it a blanket policy for everyone and not have a mind or have a heart for the individual experience that's yeah. behind every one of these statistics. You know, like it's easy to say you want to reduce statistics. I mean, like, hell, wasn't it like Stalin who said a death of the death of one man is a tragedy. The death of death of a million is a statistic. Right. Mm-hmm. Oof. Was that Stalin or was that Mussolini? Uh, it was one of those. Assholes. One of them. Yeah. Um, but like, well, 
if, oh, if it's a statistical question and the further, I mean, like, yes, you get the feeling that you're advocating for every single one of those babies. That's part of the, the statistic, but you know, a blanket policy is so much easier because it's not personal. It's just like, well, I mean, like we've made the call that it's morally wrong and we've legislated that morality and like, mm-hmm. you know, that doctor, I mean, hell, like if you were in Texas today, you and that oh. doctor could be sued right now. Yep. And that's just, that's f***ed up. I'd like to return to that idea of justification. Like, I'm, I just keep thinking about like the connection to war and how like, mm-hmm. uh, like war feels so easily justified to a lot of people, I think, because it's usually argued as like a necessary evil to stop a greater evil. Mm. And yeah. I think mm. that for some reason, abortion is like the great trolley problem of our time. It is. Wow. Yes. Wow. And we're like given this like impossible situation, which the trolley problem totally is. Like you have a train going down the tracks and you either let it kill five people or you actively choose one person for it to kill. Like mm-hmm. which do you choose? Mm-hmm. But yeah. then like it totally ignores like, well, like why is there why are the people tied to the tracks? Like how do we get here? And we're like in this impossible like solution situation where it like like how do you like I think the ethics question is like well like how do you determine if something is justified and I've totally heard people make the argument that like well if I was if someone's ever in that situation it's never justified to kill someone it's more justifiable to like let the mother die and personally I think that is more tragic mm-hmm. but I think that comes down to like I think it comes down to an ethics stance like you have to make an ethics argument for that I don't think that that is like uh, you you can't just like have an opinion for one without uh, yeah i don't know and if you want a dose of that even in a hypothetical situation please go to the n2 podcast and listen to the god committee because these are the questions mm, mm-hmm. these are the questions of the episode is like the uh, the famous god committee deciding who gets the kidney transplant and who doesn't and it's a question of like do the more does the young person get it does the mother of four get it does the doctor who's making medical breakthroughs get it like mm-hmm. it really yeah man it gets so complicated yeah and like the the assumption often is like well you can never justify something like that right when mm-hmm. like literally every situation is completely different i don't know i i feel like i had somewhere else to go with that but oh one of the things i was reminded of was uh, Radio Lab, the podcast, did a great episode years ago. Um, I think it's called 22 Weeks, and it's all about the idea of viability. The whole Roe versus Wade decision hinges, and every Supreme Court case since hinges on the concept of viability and whether or not a fetus can be, like for lack of a better word, cultivated outside of the womb at a right. certain point. Yeah. And like, do we have the technology and the capability and resources available to? like prolong the life of a prematurely born baby. Mm-hmm. And that distance of viability is just like going further and further backwards. Like we are approaching 21 weeks viability. And some people believe, I mean, this is a little bit of a sci-fi prediction, but some people believe that at this rate within 50 years, we might just have near one or two week viability, which means that like humans could be implanted in the womb and then grown outside the womb. Which is like a whole nother ethics discussion, right? But like, I think that for me is like a great example of like, like the theology 
presented by Jesus and the theology in the Bible and even by Christian theologians, like doesn't even come close to giving a clear answer about any of that. Like that's just like for Mm -hmm. us to figure out. And like I am, even though I've come to my own opinions about abortion and what I think is morally justifiable, (laughs) um, I think that Christians should disagree about this as much as a lot of people don't want to admit. Like, Mm. I think that this should absolutely be a discussion. I think that anyone who wants to have an opinion on it, either direction, should absolutely do everything in their power to be as educated as possible. Like, they should read the Supreme Court cases. They They should read books. They should read both opinions and truly listen and try to come to a thoughtful, justifiable conclusion without just bandwagoning. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Man, and let it inform future choices. Like for me and yeah, Dixie, like it was easy at a earlier stage in our life when we thought that getting pregnant might just be easy, you know? Because um, mm-hmm. especially for me, a lot of things in my life are easy. So I'm like, oh, of course, like having a family is just something I get to like plan out and choose. Like, yeah, we're going to wait a few right. years and, you know, get a career on track or whatever, finish college and then you know, we'll just start having babies as if it's a choice we can actually make. Like it was easy to have an opinion of like literally zero abortions should happen and Christians should just be the people who like become the adoption agencies, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the advocation for, yeah, like maybe some of us should do more fostering or adoption or something like that. But like Dixie and I didn't feel like we had skin in the game until we had a spontaneous abortion and at that point like that's when we started taking it seriously you know because it actually like we allowed it to inform like it gave it gave theology flesh right like it made it real and put some skin in the game Mm -hmm. (gasps) you know what i didn't even think about until now what was that what if i wonder if some of the abortion statistics are improperly inflated because they are accounting for spontaneous abortions as well yes that is yes you think that's the case i've never thought about that i i wonder i wonder how true that is in some statistics do you think it is emily yeah i do Hmm. interesting Hmm. as they say in the COVID era i wonder what the true death rate is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and even that we want to see that reduce it's not it's not as if we're celebrating totally right yeah no exactly exactly and Josh, I do think you bring up a good point where like a lot of the theology, like, can we really point to many places in the text that this theology is born out of other than. No, no abortion happened actually. in Jesus's day and he doesn't comment on it. There's yeah. nowhere explicitly in the Bible actually that mentions abortion. Right. Like there's there is one. Is there verse not? Ex- there is not. There's a verse in Exodus that refers to. If you hit a woman and she gives birth prematurely and people like to link that to abortion, but there's actually no. Don't no, hit women pregnant or not. If you hit her too hard and it pops out. Yeah. You got you got one coming for you. Basically. That was a, uh, but that it was doesn't a, mention the baby <laughs> dying. It just like it's just like a premature birth. The falcon punch yeah, move. You know, it talks a lot about <laughs> infertility, menstruation, rape. Mm-hmm. Uh, things of that nature, but abortion is actually not found in the biblical text. So huh. fascinating. There you go. And that all the more is like, so if it's not even found in the text, the the text that Christians 
base, like their, it's the foundation of their faith. It's not in there. And yet that is like the issue that they will, like that is the mountain that they will die on, essentially. It's just so fascinating to me. I feel like we could just like go on and on and on. And like, we're coming back to the same conclusion. So uh, do you guys have any last thoughts or ahas or anything like that? Mm. Mm. What about you? Do you have any last thoughts, Emily? I just, uh, one, thank you for indulging me on this topic. I just want to say from uh, someone who has been in a situation with others um, in their most vulnerable and most emotional times of their life. It is so hard to place yourself in their shoes. And so I think if you are going to stand one way or the other on this issue, yes, Josh, you're absolutely right. Do your research, like be well-rounded and educated in the sources that you're reading and, and the knowledge that you're obtaining, but also like talk to people. Like if people are willing to share their experience, like listen to them. Don't just hear them and in the back of your head play your pre-recorded answers that you want to spit fire back to them. Like actually sincerely listen to them in those moments that they are willing to share with you and just be present. Like don't try to force your opinions. Like don't try to shove it down their throat for those who are dealing with, with, with things like this. Your presence matters. And I think we owe it to ourselves to be mindful of people who this is a very serious issue for them. And if they have very strong opinions one way or the other, like we just got to be present to them and to hear them out <laughs> mm. and do our own research and be mindful of what it is that this issue truly entails and how as a society we are handling it. I so badly want to post a hot take on Facebook about this now. Especially about my point about miscarriages. Well, you just posted yes. it on Twitter, I saw. So. I did just post it on Twitter. <laughs> Do it. Well Do done. It. Um, How much will you pay me if I post it on Facebook? On that, I will pay you whatever you want. Why would you why would you oh. why would you intentionally sip poison as if it was gonna serve you anything? I my opinions of Facebook are so low. Wait, is that a proverb? That sounds like a proverb. Probably. That's just Don't sift poison if I don't know what Sip, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> oh, sip. Um, on those notes, don't follow us on Facebook. We don't have a Facebook, but you can yeah, follow Ravel. Yeah, don't use Facebook anymore. Yeah, you can follow just, Ravel on Instagram yeah. and Twitter at RavelPod. Also, while we're at it, I'm Stephen G Henning on Twitter and Instagram actually, but I'm mostly on Twitter with the hot takes. Um, Josh, what's your Twitter again? Uh, it's my name, Josh Llewellyn. It's in the show notes. So if you want, if you like Twitter, I'm also on TikTok. I but I post stuff on TikTok if you like videos. Yeah, dude. And if, and if you're more of an Instagrammer for the gram, uh, follow me at Rev Reddinghouse. And you can follow Jesus and the original <sighs> social media, the gospel. At okay. the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look at us go. Um, on, on the notes of following and whatnot, we also have a Patreon community that we are... Loving to chat with people in there. That's patreon.com slash Ravelpod. We are, in addition to our goal of uh, 20 patrons in the community, and then we launch a monthly like Bible study, like legit Bible study session. Um, the three of us are also kicking around ideas for bonus episodes in addition to that Ooh. Bible study. 
And I'd be kind of curious if you do follow us on Twitter or Instagram, um, like tweet at us, or if you are a patron, get in the discord, what kind of things would you be interested in hearing about if we started doing bonus episodes? I even thought it would be fun to just like do a little bit more, get to know you. Like, I know you guys are on no normal people, you too, but mm-hmm. you know, like for us as a group, maybe I don't know, play like recreate some road trip games, ask each other questions or yeah. Josh, I know you and I have, uh, some hot takes on the rise and fall of Mars Hill podcast that maybe we might make a bonus episode soon. I don't know Mm, mm -hmm, if you want to hear our thoughts on another piece of Christian media. Yeah. That's something you might find in there. Um, Emily, do you have a, uh, a word for us as we leave? I don't even know how you would end a good conversation about this, even though I think we had a good conversation about this. Yeah, I think I, I I think I have uh, some closing words. Topics like this can be intense and emotional and sometimes polarizing. Just know that as we ravel out topics like these, we can do so with community in mind and approaching it with kindness and courage and knowing that it's something that we may never have an answer to, but it's still a topic worth discussing. Dixie Lee Henning, and this is Author's Intent. You know how you have friends, and sometimes those friends are like, hey, have you seen this movie? And then you're like, well, I I think the book's better. And then you guys get into an argument, and then you stop being friends because of their totally wrong opinions. Well, I liked that feeling so much that I decided to make a podcast about it. So I put in the work, I read the books, I watch the movies, and I tell you the differences between the two, and... You know, you can still be friends with that with that friend who thinks that the Hobbit movies are good. They're not. They're not good. But you can stay friends. I'm essentially a mediator in the friend space, you know? I'm here so that you can stay friends with those people, despite their horrible opinions about books and movies. So, you're welcome. Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.